Hello, I am Kevin Smith, and you have found the Terminator Training Show, your one-stop shop for no BS training, nutrition, and health information. For more, please go to TerminatorTraining.com. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Terminator Training Show. I am Kevin Smith. Today's episode is going to be a Q&A. I'm going to do my best to not lose my train of thought and produce complete sentences. I just did an outdoor fartlek run. It's a little bit cooler out today. It's in the 70s, but it was certainly very humid and I struggled through it. It was a good session, but I did that and then I went in the sauna. So I'm still catching up on hydration and mental acuity. And this run is an experiment that I'm doing, basically just running or rucking every single day of the month. It is the 13th today. So I'm, what's 14 days in? That's 14 days in a row. I started it on September 1st was my first day. I just decided when I was rucking that I would do it just for fun, just to show you guys that you can, in fact, do it every day. You just got to be smart about it. Believe this run today wrapped up my second week. When I look at my phone, it's hard for me to tell whether tomorrow is the last day of my second week or I believe this is my 14th day doing it. The first, if you count the first and today the 13th, I think today was my 14th day doing it, but I'm not 100% sure. So yeah, either way, this second week I did approximately 21 miles of running and eight-ish, a little over eight miles of rucking. I'm going to ruck, do a ruck lawn mow tomorrow and that'll be my session. Definitely need like a low key session. Not that rucking and lawn mowing is very easy and chill, but it's basically like zone two. So should be fine. But either way, it's going really well so far. I feel really good. I did not feel like doing the workout today, but that was just like mentally, it wasn't a physical thing. I just didn't feel like going out and running, which is in general, all the more reason to do it. Now, of course, if you're like overdoing it and you really, your body needs a day off or you psychologically need a day off because you've been hitting it so hard and crushing it and a day off would benefit you. That's one thing. But if you just, if the conditions aren't perfect or if you just don't feel like training because you're being soft, then that's all the more reason to train. Um, so that's what I did. It's a good session. And yeah, then I went in the sauna. So I'm a little bit dehydrated, but catching up, I've got my Nalgene here with about 20 ounces of water and a scoop of Redmond Relight Electrolytes mango flavor, and it's delicious and hydrating. So we'll get this episode knocked out. I'm going to try to get to a lot of questions today and keep the answers brief, but still informative. No promises. Sometimes I see that and I only get to like seven, but we'll see what happens. So let's hop into the questions. Question number one. If training two times a day, how soon after the first session is it best to eat a post-workout meal? Generally speaking, if you are just doing one session per day, it doesn't really matter all that much. Obviously, like if you go into your workout fasted, it's probably a good idea to eat as soon as you can after you train. Not necessarily eat, like eat a full meal, but get some protein in, get some carbs in, and help that recovery, help that muscle protein synthesis to continue to occur. But Otherwise, it doesn't matter all that much. And again, that is if you're training one time per day. If you're training again later that day, then it matters a lot more. You want to... So assuming you were going into the workout not fasted, like say you trained in the morning, but you ate something beforehand, or at least you had some sort of 
carbohydrate, liquid carbs, something like that. You know, I wouldn't like as soon as you finish your last rep, you don't have to slam a shake or immediately do it. But within an hour is probably a good idea. Ideally, maybe even a half an hour getting some carbohydrates and protein in, whether it's a shake mixed with Gatorade or potentially some fruit or some sort of carbohydrates, some protein, probably 20 to 40 grams of protein within a half an hour. And depending on the person, 50 to 100 grams of carbohydrates. And then you probably also want to get a meal in within two hours after that. So, you know, either you get just a full meal with actual real food in within 30 minutes uh, to an hour, or you get a little shake, a little snack post-workout, and then maybe you drive home, shower, get yourself together and eat a bigger meal. But Basically, if you're going to train again that day, you want to top off your glycogen stores as quickly as possible. There's data to back up the fact that those who eat pretty soon after their first session, even if the calories and the carbohydrates and everything are the same, the sooner you eat after that first session, the better you're going to perform in your next session, as opposed to waiting a while and eating the same amount, but you just do it later. So maybe you wait two, three hours to eat and then you do another session later that day, you're probably going to perform a little bit worse than you would if you had eaten sooner after that workout. So really the only time that you should prioritize getting food in, getting carbohydrates and protein, especially in as soon as possible after your workout is if you have another session later that day. If not, it doesn't matter as much. Definitely probably want to still do it, but it doesn't have to be at a certain time. Like it can be an hour and a half later. It can be two hours later. You should be fine. And that is unless you go into that workout fasted. So say you are, you know, working out at eight, 9 AM and you haven't eaten since the night before, maybe you prefer working out fasted in that case, if you're gaining if your goal is to gain muscle, then you probably want to get some food in pretty quickly after that workout. So you're not remaining fasted for a super long period of time after that session. That is if your goal is to gain muscle. Next question, thoughts on training full body four times a week while prioritizing endurance in a hybrid program? Yeah, so it just depends on how much you want to prioritize endurance. Four full body sessions a week is going to take a little bit of recovery reserves away from your endurance training. But then again, if your goal is to improve your endurance, but you still want to stay strong, still want to maybe build a little bit of muscle at the same time, then you can train four days a week. I personally would recommend if that's your goal, if, if your goal is like more endurance, maybe like 65, 45, what is it? 65, 35 endurance to strength. I still would probably recommend doing an upper lower split over full body. But at the same time, there are definitely some advantages to a full body session when you are combining with, with endurance. Main Mainly being... The fact that if you were doing full body sessions properly, you know, you're hitting each muscle group, but not with a ton of volume, probably three to five sets per muscle group, you're not going to get all that sore, at least after the first couple of weeks, once you get used to it. So you have, you're going to be less sore for your endurance sessions. That being said, a full body workout is quite a bit of systemic stimulus, which is fine, but also it, like I said, at the beginning of the question can eat into your recovery a little bit. So I personally, if I was really prioritizing endurance, I would knock that down to three days per week or three days per week, upper, lower, full or lower, upper, full, or even knock it down to two days per week. Two full body sessions per week is 
still enough to maintain your muscle mass and maintain your strength, but it'll give you a lot more time to prioritize endurance. So it really just depends on how much you want to prioritize endurance versus how much you want to continue to uh, strength train. So four, four days a week can work for sure. But if you really, really want to get good at endurance, I would probably knock that down a little bit or potentially switch to upper lower. And that way you are just getting a little bit less systemic stimulus from each training session. But at the same time, probably would work fine, especially if your recovery is really good. Next question. I feel better on low carb throughout the day, but struggle with gym performance. Any tips? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, gym sessions, hard, intense gym sessions where you are trying to build muscle. So you're pushing your sets hard, close to failure. The main energy source for that, the main energy system involved is usually going to be glycolytic, which is which requires full glycogen stores or at least high glycogen stores, uh, which you get from eating carbohydrates. You know, your body can store glycogen in the liver as well, but Ideally, you want to have your body, body can store a lot more glycogen in the muscles. So it can be tough to have really good training sessions when you are low carb. And it really depends on the person. Some people are totally fine going low carb. They have great workouts and it's no big deal. Some people really struggle in the gym on low carbohydrates and sounds like you are this person. That being said, some people do feel better throughout the day, like cognitively, even energy wise, basically you keep your blood sugar pretty stable all day by eating low carbohydrate. So it can be this like kind of conundrum where, yeah, you feel great during non-gym time, but you also have struggles in the gym because you're low carb. So it's like this, what do I do? Should I say fuck it and eat carbs and not feel as good throughout the day? Or should I uh, keep the carbs low and just sacrifice a little bit in my workout? And it really depends. I would say, generally speaking, you want to first, you want to look at your carb sources and make sure you're eating the right carb sources for your body. Not all carb sources, even some healthy carb sor sources. Some people just don't feel very good. One of them, uh, for example, would be like oatmeal or like whole wheat bread, whole grain bread. Some people don't digest grains very well and they don't really know it. And those foods are generally healthy foods. But if, if you don't digest them well, or if you don't react to them well, or if you have a sensitivity to them and you just don't know it, then they're not good for you. Generally, rice, white rice and potatoes and fruit are pretty universally well digested by a lot of people. So first thing I would try if you're not already doing this is to just eat those carb sources throughout the day um, as, as your carb sources. If that still doesn't work, if you still feel sluggish after you eat carbs, next thing I would probably try would be to do that, but also take some walks after you eat, if at all possible. So, you know, if you eat lunch and you notice that you feel sluggish after you eat lunch, you feel like you want to nap sometimes, a lot of times, if you just took like a 10 minute walk after that meal, of course, if you're eating like 150 grams of carbs or more for lunch, some for some people like 100 or more for lunch, yeah, you might feel a little bit sluggish after. But if you're eating just a normal carbohydrate lunch, 50 to 75 grams and you try taking a walk, even like just a 10 minute walk, it doesn't even have to be outside. Ideally it's outside just to get the benefits of nature. But even if it's around your office or whatever, you, it's going to have a great effect on stabilizing your blood sugar and it's going to kick that digestion process off. Digestion has a lot to do with gravity and movement. So the 10 minute walk obviously is a great way to have it stacked with a meal and get more steps throughout the day, but also it can have some really good effects on digestion, blood sugar, etc. So you might feel better after that. 
The third thing, if that doesn't work, which it should, but the third thing that I would try would be to just time your carbs around your workouts. So you eat low carb throughout most of the day. You eat low carbs on your rest days when you're not training or if you're just doing really low intensity cardio. And on your training days, when you wanna take advantage of carbohydrates, you just time them a little bit differently than normal. Instead of eating them throughout the day, you eat your carbs right before you train or in, the, in your pre-workout meal. So say you're training at, for example, 3 p.m. You would probably eat carbs in your lunch you would eat carbohydrates, potentially sip on some carbohydrates during your workout. So cluster dextrin, cyclic dextrin, or dextra or Gatorade, um, or Vitargo, something like that. Very fast digesting carbohydrates that like won't make you feel sluggish at all. And you won't even notice that you're getting them, but they are performance enhancing. They will help you through your workout. And then in your post-workout meal, you'll get some more carbs in. And then throughout the rest of the day, no carbohydrates, very or very low carbohydrates that might work as well. Or finally, you could just stay low carb and see a lot of times once you just continue to push through it, a lot of times you eventually start to get used to it. Your body adapts and you start feeling better. But I personally have tried low carb for long periods of time. And A, I lose a ton of weight because I struggle to eat a lot of food when I'm eating like mostly fat and protein. I struggle to eat enough food, but also I just don't feel good in my workouts. I in a person that just really likes carbohydrates. And usually if I'm doing the first couple of things that I mentioned, choosing the right ones, and also taking walks after meals, I feel fine throughout the day. But if you are, basically you can see if your body adapts to it and see if this kind of goes away. If not, then I would do probably one of the three things I mentioned or a combination of a couple of those. Another thing you can try if you want to keep your carbs low is a lot of times people will basically with glycogen, when you, when your muscles store glycogen from eating carbohydrates, water uh, for every gram of glycogen, three gram, three to four grams of water is also stored in your muscles. So you'll notice if you go low carb, you'll lose a bunch of weight off the bat and that's not fat. It's just water weight because you are not storing glycogen in your muscles, AKA you're not storing water in your muscles. So a lot of times where water goes, salt will go as well. So people will go low carb and they'll feel really, really bad for a while. Not just because it's a new thing for them, but also because you need to up your sodium. If you go low carbohydrate, you need to increase how much sodium you are consuming, like probably by a lot, because usually when people go low carb, they also are eating mostly whole foods and whole foods like natural whole foods, meat, fruit, vegetables, eggs, stuff like that, don't have a lot of carbs in them, uh, don't have a lot of salt in them. So you should definitely consider upping your salt pretty drastically. And as, as for how much, it's very situation dependent. Very, It depends on your size, depends on your activity level, depends on what kind of workouts you do, depends on how much you sweat, but definitely add salt to every meal and potentially consider an electrolyte supplement like the one I'm drinking right now, Redmond Relight, you can just add salt to your water. That's the cheapest route. Element's pretty good. So all those things can work. Just got to experiment with them, see what works for you, but should be a manageable situation. Next question, advice on starting back in the gym after being sick for a week. Yeah. So definitely underestimate your ability. You might feel like you can go back to what you're doing the week before you got sick, but even if you do feel that way, you probably shouldn't. 
you want to leave the gym feeling like you could have done more because even though, even if you are fully 100% recovered, you were, your body was in a very stressed out state trying to get healthy for a week. And if you go really hard, if you try to match what you did before you got sick the week before, you are probably going to be sore for several days and it's not going to be a very productive session for you. Um, so definitely dial it back, probably, especially the volume, um, but potentially even the intensity instead of going to, you know, a rep shy of failure, maybe two or three in the tank and use that first week as like a post deload week, week where you just reintroduce the movements, you reintroduce a little bit of intensity, but you don't grind out reps. You don't take things close to failure. You don't try to beat the logbook. I wouldn't even look at the logbook from the previous week before that and just take it slow and listen to your body and you should be back to just as strong as you were before uh within a couple of weeks it's not that big of a setback even if you were like really really sick and you barely ate you can still bounce back pretty quickly if you do those things if you come back and you go ham in the gym and try and crush yourself then you it's going to be a further setback or it's just not going to be very conducive to any progress or any gains. And it's probably going to be frustrating. You're probably going to be sore. You're probably going to be fatigued and you could potentially put yourself into a situation where you might get sick again. So definitely take it easy. Underestimate what you're capable of doing. Don't try and beat the logbook and you should be good to go in a couple of weeks. Next question. How does body fat percentage relate to performance at SFAS? When to pr prioritize weight loss for train up? Yeah. So, um, you definitely don't want to be too lean. If you're like sub, sub 10% going in, depending on the person, probably a little bit too lean. I would say anywhere from like 12 to 15% is probably a pretty solid range to be in maybe 10 to 15%. But you also don't want to be the bigger you are, the more body mass you have. I talked about this last episode in my avatar, my SFAS prep avatars episode more body mass is generally not going to be conducive to endurance. Obviously you don't want to be super weak and super skinny and not able to be strong enough to complete team week and carry a ruck around a lot. But at the same time, you don't want to be super chunky. You probably don't want to be 250 pounds of pure muscle either, just because it's going to be tough to do all the endurance stuff. So if you do have some body fat to lose, if you do have some mass to lose, you want to start considering that way early, not necessarily in combination with your train up. And I also mentioned this last episode, but a quick recap, if you are trying to lose weight and you're trying to perform on your very performance based pre-selection workouts that really are, you're trying to move the needle on them and get faster with a ruck or a ruck on or run or running and you're doing so in a calorie deficit in an effort to lose body fat at the same time, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of performance because you're going to be in a deficit and being in a calorie deficit is not the best way for a performance athlete to eat. Um, of course, there are exceptions to that, but in this situation, really the best way to solve that is to start thinking about leaning out way before you start your last two to three month selection train up. So take it really, really slow, get in a very sustainable, moderate calorie deficit, 300 calories a day, something like that till you get to your desired body fat percentage. So say you're at like 20%, you want to get down to 15, you know, it probably to do that right. And, and take that slow and not really feel a lot of, 
the effects of being in a too drastic of a deficit and to not lose a ton of muscle mass as well. You might lose a little bit just as a byproduct of the training, but to do that slow, I mean, that's probably a few months, depending on the person, a few months of a calorie deficit to do that. And then when you get to where you want to be, say you get down to 15%, then hopefully you have three months till you go to selection. That way you can just focus on maintenance, eating at maintenance approximately while you go into selection. That is a much better way to eat for performance, for your endurance performance, for your selection train up performance, and you'll be much better off. If you're like two months out and you're like, shit, I have a bunch of weight to lose in order to get faster. You might get faster as a byproduct of losing weight um, in a short period of time, but I don't think that's the best way to do it. I would rather take the slow approach. I'd rather start way out and I'd rather get a little bit leaner slowly. That way you can perform well leading into selection. And like I said, if you're very, very lean, kind of the opposite, if you're like six, 7% body fat, uh, I wouldn't recommend maintaining that anyway. But uh, occasionally, if you have really good genetics, you can maintain seven, 8% body fat year round and be fine. Not many people can, but I would start to definitely prioritize a calorie surplus. You don't have to do it as early because if you're super lean and you're eating in a surplus, it can help. It can actually help with performance. If you're in like a 200, 300 calorie surplus and you're slowly gaining mass over time, it can actually help with performance because you're just, you're not going to have shitty workouts because you're in a energy deficit. You're going to be fully topped off all the time. So you don't probably don't have to consider it super early, but at the same time, you know, if you're two weeks out from selection, I wouldn't just start binge eating and gain 12 pounds because that is going to hurt your performance for sure. So I, I would still take it slow and, and, and gradual, but yeah, you don't want to be too lean. You also don't want to be too fat. And it's really situation dependent. Some guys, definitely guys over 15% body fat have passed. Guys under 12%. I was probably 9 or 10% when I went. So it can be done. Just some stuff to consider. Preferred method for deployment, two-a-day workouts, AM cardio, and PM lift. It doesn't really matter all that much. The only thing that I personally would recommend would be to do the workouts that you, so if you, again, going back to what you want to improve the most, if you're calling it cardio, I'm assuming you're just doing cardio for health and not conditioning for like performance and trying to get better at it. Um, cardio is just what you do to improve your cardiovascular health. It's a little bit different than like performance-based conditioning, like going and doing very high performance workouts that are actually going to move the needle, make you faster, stuff like that. Cardio is just improving your cardiovascular health. So I generally would recommend doing whichever you prefer and or whichever one you want to improve the most. So if you really want to get really strong and you're just doing cardio for health, I would probably do the lift in the morning. But at the same time, if you're doing cardio just for health, it's probably not like super intense, super hard workouts. It's probably, I'm assuming stuff like incline walking or easy zone two stuff. You can definitely do that in the morning and do a lift in the afternoon, but it really just depends on what you prefer. I personally, like when I was deployed, I would usually lift in the morning and do cardio in the evening, but that was just really what I preferred as far as um, I like to lift in the morning. I like to get some caffeine in me before I lift. I don't really need ca caffeine before cardio at all. Um, so that just matched up. I would wake up in the morning, eat a, a small breakfast, take some caffeine an hour later, go lift, eat throughout the day, chill out, and then go to do cardio in the evening. And that worked for me, but it doesn't really matter all that much, kind of whatever you prefer. 
Next question, how would you manage nutrition as a hybrid when you're not tracking calories and macros? All right, this is a really good one. It's very, very hard unless you don't really care all that much about like having really good sessions every single time. And if you're okay with potentially losing some weight, whether it be fat or muscle, just overall weight, or potentially eating in a surplus and gaining weight, you want to at least at the very least be mindful of your nutrition when you're training for a hybrid goal and to really do it right. You want to track. I personally am not tracking right now. I mentioned this in the story, but I'm not tracking. I, on, I think it was the 29th of August is the last time I had weighed myself until like two days ago, the 11th. And I was 190 pounds. And the other day I weighed myself and I was 186. One, a few things to consider with that. Definitely did not lose four pounds of fat. Didn't lose four pounds of muscle. I probably most likely, I also stopped taking creatine late in August. I just ran out of it and I thought I ordered some on Amazon, but didn't. So I just reintroduced creatine like two days ago because I ordered some more, but basically two weeks without creatine. Um, so you're going to lose a little bit of water weight there. And even though I have lots of experience tracking in the past, the pretty significant increase in activity level, literally rucking and running every day for a combined, I think the first, the first week was like 30 miles. Plus I'm also lifting four to five days per week and averaging like 17,000 steps. Basically what I'm trying to say is even though I thought I was eating enough, I was not even close. So I lost a bunch of weight. Um, I have started to implement some things since then. It's only been two days to try and gain that weight back because one of my goals for this month was to lose no weight or very minimal weight. And I'm a little bit behind the power curve with that. So basically all that to say is even if you are very experienced tracking macros, and first of all, if you were going to do this, do a hybrid approach where you're trying to get better at endurance and stronger at the same time or more muscular at the same time, and you have zero experience tracking, you've never spent several months, probably hopefully several years combined of your life tracking, then it's not a very good idea at all. You're, you're going to struggle for sure. But even if, like I was saying, my point was talking about myself and my tracking, I have tracked probably for two years of my life combined, maybe even more than that. And I'm pretty good at judging my calorie intake just based on like what I routinely do. I eat most of the same foods at the same times every day. I have similar activity levels every day. I can use the scale and the mirror. I hadn't been using the scale. I basically went two weeks without stepping on the scale. Just didn't think of it, but I'm pretty good at, upping my calories if I need to, lowering them if I need to, and just naturally eating around maintenance. But when you are training hybrid and you really are trying to improve your performance in multiple disciplines that equal a high workload and a high activity level, it's very, very difficult to do it accurately unless you are tracking. So I personally would track unless, like I said, you don't mind a little bit of weight loss, you don't mind a little bit of weight gain, you don't mind occasionally having shitty workouts. The reason I went home and weighed myself that day, um, I had a really, really subpar leg workout. I'm like, what is going on? And I kind of just like felt flat, like very flat, like I was underfed and depleted. And turns out I definitely was and didn't really under, I didn't really know it, didn't notice it. So you're going to have workouts like that occasionally if you don't track um, and you might have some unwanted unexpected body composition changes. 
So it can be really tough. If you are going to not track, you definitely still want to be mindful of making sure every time you eat involves lots of protein, lots of carbohydrates, and probably even more than you're used to. You should be able to look at a plate and guess approximately how many grams of, of each macro are, are on it within a couple, uh, like five or five or 10 grams and probably a hundred to 200 calories. That'll give you a ballpark. But if you, if you can't do that, if you're not even close to that, you have no idea, then it's just going to be pretty damn tough. Next question. What was your MOS and would you choose it again? I was an 18 Delta and yeah, I think I would definitely choose it again. It's a great MOS to have. Once you get to group, the Q course is very long and very just monotonous. Like it's this, it, it just lasts forever. It drags out and drags out and drags out. So it's definitely hard to, you have to have like the, your, your why in the back of your head, be like, Hey, all my buddies that I just went to selection with a year and a half ago, just graduated. And I still have one, two years basically left in the Q course. I, it took me almost three and a half years to get through and I didn't recycle at all. It was just, that's how long it is. It might be a little different these days, but it is a very, very long Q course. It's very academic in nature. The medical training is very academic. The hands-on stuff I was always a big fan of. I was always better at than like the test taking and memorizing things and like the clinical part of it. I was more into like the trauma and actually, you know, saving people from bleeding out and stuff like that. But yeah, I think I would definitely do it again. But then again, if you don't like medicine and you want to do a different MOS, then I for sure would do that. I, I wouldn't, sometimes you don't get a choice. You're going to get a wish list, and sometimes you don't get your first choice. It really just depends on what the, what the regiment needs and what your GT score is, like how smart you are. Usually the guys with the higher GT scores, even if you want to be an 18 Bravo, if you have like 130 plus GT score, they're probably not going to make you an 18 Bravo. Um, medic was my third choice and they basically, I, I wanted to be a Charlie, then a Bravo, then a medic, then an echo. I'm glad I didn't get echo. That would suck. I'm just not into comms at all. If you are into comms and you're into tech, stuff like that, then you'd be a good echo. But I personally always struggle with that stuff and have no interest in it whatsoever. But yeah, medic was my third choice and they needed more medics. So they gave me medic. I was a little upset about it, but I did all right. And I'm glad I did it. And I would, if I were to go back, I would put that as my first choice. Later in my career, I went to the 18 Fox course, basically like a year before I got out. And that was cool. I mean, I didn't really do much as a Fox because I was doing basically before you go to the Fox course, a lot of times you'll be like the quote unquote acting Fox where you do the 18, you do an 18 Fox, you play an 18 Fox role, 18 Fox is Intel. So you're doing Intel for the team. So I did that for about a year and a half before I went to the actual course and I would do that again as well. The course sucked, but once it's a good per career progression, if you're planning on staying in, which at the time I was, I made sort of a last minute decision to get out. So yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons to every MOS. It just depends on whether you get lucky and get what you choose, what your GT score is, how smart you are and what you're interested in, but definitely a lot of good things about each MOS besides echo. No, I'm just kidding. I just personally would suck as an echo, but overall it was good. I would choose it again and glad I had it. Next question. How many sets per muscle group do you, per week? Do you normally 
do and recommend? It depends on the person. Me personally, right now, I every muscle group is going to need a different amount of volume. If you're trying to maximize your muscle growth potential, lots of muscle groups, they are smaller. They don't fatigue you as much. They also, a lot of the exercises are like short range exercises, short overloads. So think of like a lateral raise or something like that. You can do lots of lateral raises per week and recover from it and grow your delts. But you, if you do 20 sets of lateral raises and then you're just like, you know what, I'm going to do 20 sets of squats too. Obviously, if you're trying to train for strength, then yeah, you might be fine doing 20 sets of squats per week because you're not training like super hard, close to failure, hypertrophy style. But for like a hypertrophy muscle growth program, I personally am a fan of like moderate to low volume and pushing sets very close to failure. I just think that the it's it's going to be less fatiguing over time to do say eight to 12 sets per week than it's going to be to do 25 sets per week per muscle group but with more reps in the tank it's also going to take less time it's going to be less gym time a lot of people think that volume is the only driver of muscle growth and these days we are finding out and we're learning um, that that's not always the case. Yes, you can definitely, lots of bodybuilders have gotten great results off high volume training, but also if you're not a bodybuilder and you are trying to train for in a way that's going to give you some longevity and you're not going to have banged up joints all the time. And you also don't want to spend two plus hours in the gym, then a lower volume approach, as long as you're able to push your sets hard with good form, close to failure is totally fine for upper body. I'm probably hitting eight to 10, maybe, maybe 12 sets for some muscle groups per week. And for lower body right now, since I'm doing all this running and rucking, I'm probably only getting four to six sets per muscle group per week. So like quads, hamstrings, glutes, I'm definitely doing more sets of calves and tibialis muscles than that. But that is because my, a, my calves are a very weak muscle group B calf raises are not very fatiguing at all. C, they also having very strong lower legs, your calves and tibs will make your lower legs a little bit more durable when you do lots of running and rucking on them. So that's, those are the three main reasons that, and I also use calf raises for ankle mobility. I've pretty subpar ankle mobility. And ever since I started pausing in the bottom position of the calf raise, A, my calves have actually started to grow a tiny bit and B, they also, I have better ankle mobility because I'm holding that weighted stretch with my ankles like very dorsiflexed. So that's what I'm doing right now. Generally, I recommend a, if for a more advanced lifter, I recommend similar, probably eight to 12 sets on average per week per muscle group. Um, if they're doing a ton of running, obviously we would drop the lower body volume. If they're not doing a ton of running, probably keep it around there. Um, for a really advanced lifter that likes to train hard and like really likes to push sets close to failure. Basically the closer to failure you're training or to failure, or if you're doing intensity techniques, stuff like that, you're going to want to do fewer sets per muscle group per week. If you are leaving more in the tank, two to three reps in the tank, every set, then you're going to need to do more volume. I think that rotating back and forth between, um, going large, like macro cycles of lower volume and higher intensity, and higher volume and lower intensity, or maybe like half the year you do higher volume, lower intensity, and the other half vice versa, or maybe two thirds of the year, one third, whatever, is probably the best approach. However, 
once you get up over like 35, 40 years old, you want to, A, you probably don't want to be in the gym for two hours doing super high volume, tons and tons of sets. And B, just guys who are that old are usually more banged up. They're usually more experienced so they can take their sets harder. But at the same time, they probably don't want to be doing 25 sets per muscle group per week, just because that's a lot of opportunities to stress your joints out and end up feeling banged up, end up with sore shoulders, sore knees, stuff like that. And even if you are training hard, because this person is advanced, they are able to push their sets close to failure with very good form. And overall, that is usually a little bit less fatiguing, even just because they're doing fewer sets. And it's also less mentally fatiguing. Getting mentally prepared for, for example, eight sets in one workout, as opposed to 22 sets in one workout is a lot easier. So it's going to be less mentally demanding. Even if your sets, your 22 sets are not that hard, it's still, you have to focus for 22 different times. You have to like get your head in the zone and go into that set as opposed to eight. So all those things are things I consider less advanced people, more intermediate, probably higher volume, uh, just because I don't feel comfortable program programming them sets that are very, very close to failure because generally speaking, they aren't able to take sets close to failure with really good form. And it ends up being a potential risk of injury or joint pain or something, or just getting way too fatigued. So a higher volume approach, uh, 15, 20, sometimes occasionally, depending on the muscle group and how motivated the person is and how much muscle they want to gain, maybe more than that, but somewhere in that range. And then as you get more advanced, some guys like you can choose a lot of guys that keep their volume really, really high. People used to think like the more advanced you get, the more volume you have to do. But if you think about it, the more advanced you get, the more quality sets and reps you're able to like very, very high quality, effective sets and reps you're able to do. So you probably don't need to do as many sets because you're just getting way more stimulus of the important reps, which are like the last four and five, four to five reps in a set. So you can kind of choose, but I personally have had much better success with older, more banged up lifters doing a moderate to low volume approach with a lot of intensity. Next question, tips for those who struggle with nutrition consistency and making good food choices. The biggest tip honestly is to limit the amount of food choices, the amount of good choices you have to make every single week. And the best way to do that is to prep your food and plan it out. You don't necessarily have to prep everything one day per week, like meal prep Sunday, prep all your meals for the rest of the week, but you should identify which meals you struggle to make good choices with. For a lot of people, it's like lunchtime. If you work in an office or you work with other people, everyone's going, Hey, everyone's going to go to Jack in the box today. Or I don't know why I use that example, Chipotle, whatever. Everyone's going to go eat whatever tastes good, whatever they feel like that day or everyone's going to wait till 20 minutes before lunch and then they're gonna decide where they wanna go eat. And usually when you do that, when you're hungry and you've waited till it's time to go eat, the ability to make a good decision is a lot lower than it would be if you made all your food on Sunday and now it's Tuesday at lunchtime and you already made it, you've decided, hey, it's Sunday. On Tuesday, on Monday at lunch, on Tuesday at lunch, on Wednesday at lunch, I'm eating this. And it's going to be probably the same or similar food each time. That's another thing I definitely would recommend doing is eating about the same, which I'll get into in a second. That way you are just making that decision one time. And decision fatigue, 
I'm sure most of you have heard of it, definitely applies to food. There was a study, I can't remember exactly everything that went down in the study, but they asked the group of the test subjects in the study, how many food decisions per day do you think you make? And I think the average like perceived number of decisions was 14 or 15 per person. And scientists determined through brain scans, stuff like that. I'm not exactly sure how they determined it, but they determined that they were actually making over 200 food related decisions every single day. So if you do, for example, if you prep your meals on Sunday and Wednesday and you at least prep, you know, your problem meals. That will greatly reduce the amount of decisions you have to make. It'll greatly reduce how much fatigue you, your decision, basically how much decision fatigue you have when it comes time to eat, you've already made your decision. So that's a huge one. Like just not giving yourself the opportunity to make choices. You just make the choice twice a week or three times a week or whatever for your problem meals and go from there. Another thing, is a lot of people think that every time they eat has to be like some amazing, fun experience and like very exhilarating. If you have goals to get healthy and eat healthy and eat food that is going to serve you well in whatever your goals are, whether it's performance, fat loss, muscle gain, whatever, the it's totally fine to occasionally have a meal that is like really tasty and, and, and you enjoy and it's fun, it's a great experience, that's awesome, that's like healthy for you. But if you're doing that every single time, if you're basing like your eating decisions on, ooh, what sounds good today? What's going to be a fun restaurant to go to? Or, you know, what's a really good DoorDash delivery? Like what's going to be really, really tasty and feel really good while I'm eating it? Then you're probably going to struggle. And if it's always something different as well, you're probably going to struggle. People who eat a lot of variety of different foods because that's more fun do not have a very good time sticking to their nutrition plan. It's just too much, too many variables, too much um, up in the air where you potentially, maybe you have a good day of eating, but then the next day you have another meal that is just totally off plan and not conducive to your success. Or it's just really hard to track because it's always something different, especially if this is a lot of times, if it's like takeout and it's not prep food, if you're getting takeout, yeah, some restaurants and stuff have calories and macros in their on their menu, but A, it's probably not very accurate at all. And B, like they're depending on who makes your meal, like for example, Chipotle, you could probably go to Chipotle and get the exact same thing like four times in one week. And there would probably be a three to four hundred calorie difference in each one, like up and down. So it just depends on who's making it. it. It's not like this perfectly measured process. So all those things, the food decision part is huge. Making that decision way fewer times throughout the week, minimizing variety, just eating very similar foods. You don't have to eat the exact same thing, but eating the same structure of meals, meat. So choose like your three favorite types of meat, choose your three favorite types of carbs, choose your three favorite types of vegetables and, or have some vegetables on rotation and you will have a lot more success if you do that, especially for the meals that are problem meals. If you eat the exact same lunch every day, same two lunches maybe on rotation, same breakfast, same two breakfasts maybe, and then you can have a little bit more variety with dinner. People who do that are 
way more successful with their nutrition. They don't run into a lot of decision fatigue and it's a whole lot easier to stick to their nutrition plans. So hopefully that helps. But yeah. Next question. Would you say the pros outweigh the cons for incorporating L arginine in your daily routine for training? So the amount of benefits you're going to get from arginine Arginine is basically something that increases its amino acid. It increases blood flow and it can lead to slightly improved endurance, stamina, potentially better pumps, basically all the things you get from improved blood flow. But that being said, a lot of times arginine is in a supplement where with a bunch of other stuff and it's usually overpriced and the amount you pay for the amount of effects you get, probably not worth it. Um, there's a similar supplement called L-carnitine that is more effective than arginine, most likely. But on, honestly, you don't necessarily have to worry too much about these things. In my opinion, in my experience, the best way to improve your blood flow and get good pumps is to use some sort of beet juice or beet supplement, salt, and water. You'll get great pumps from that. If you're doing this for endurance reasons, um, some sort of beet juice is great to take before that having salt having some water being well hydrated having plenty of carbohydrates in your system all those things are going to enhance your performance in the gym or during cardio or conditioning a lot more than arginine probably a lot more than l-citrulline so yeah i would if you got if you have it already it's not going to hurt you the I mean, the biggest con is like, if you take too much, it can give you some GI issues, but it's also, you're paying a lot of money over time for not that much of an effect. So you kind of just got to weigh that out. I personally would try beet, beet juice and or pomegranate juice. Mix like three to four ounces of beet juice and three to four ounces of pomegranate juice with some water because pomegranate juice is very, very strong. So water it down a little bit, throw some salt in there, probably six to 800 milligrams of salt. Make sure you're well fed. You've eaten a lot of carbohydrates going into your session and you'll feel a lot better. You'll have great performance compared to just having some arginine. So I would say the cons outweigh the pros personally, but you can try it if you want and see what happens. And that's it. We're going to stop there. Appreciate all the questions this week. I appreciate everyone for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode. Hope everyone has an awesome week. Until next time, out. Thank you for listening. If you like this show and want to start crushing your goals, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And for more fitness content, follow me on Instagram at Terminator underscore training or check out my website, TerminatorTraining.com. All right, guys, Terminator out.